This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my fantastic co-host, Adam Frommel. We have a few things to get to today. We're going to be talking about the proposed start date of next year's NBA season. That gives us a lot of material to work with. And we're also going to get into NBA Matt's franchise rankings for the past decade. It was determined using um, NBA Matt's rolling rating. And I'm going to, Adam's going to relay some of them to us, the top teams, and we're going to see do we have any qualms? Is it, are we surprised? Are any teams too high, too low? I'm going to go at him as hard as I can. I hope he's sweating because he, he needs to be nervous right now. Before we get started, though, shout out to our sponsors. You will be hearing from them shortly. Uh, without, this pod, without them, this podcast would not be possible. Also, please, please, pretty please remember to subscribe to this podcast and download every single episode. And whether or not you use iTunes, head over there. Search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, write a review, even if it has constructive criticism. Adam, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. I'm feeling a little pressure. I am sweating because I'm uh, I'm nervously anticipating having to justify some of these rankings. But I'm also excited to uh, to talk about some of this news, especially because it seems like the 2020-21 season will actually start in 2020. And as a creature of habit who is so used to referring to seasons by those dual-year uh, tags, phrases, whatever you want to call it. That's exciting just because it means it'll actually be accurate when we keep referring to this upcoming season as 2020-21. Yeah, that's, uh, look, it's so, I'm shocked by the date. So this was from, I think it was Shams had it first, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Woj was reporting on, ESPN was reporting on, there's reports all over the place about it. But this one comes from per, from Shams. The NBA is targeting a December 22nd um, return date for the 2020-2021 season and a 72-game campaign that finishes before the 2021 Olympics. And so before we – I think there's a lot of line reading, like between the line readings to do here because this is still sort of unfolding, but the swiftness with which it's happening I think allows us to infer a couple things and obviously getting it done before the Olympics was a priority. The fact that we're at 72 games – that they're doing it before Christmas. Those were clearly then priorities. Uh, they wanted to be on Christmas. They're obviously trying to fit as many games as possible. The thing that stands out to me, I'm curious how you feel about this, I, I feel like it means that owners don't think waiting is going to give them a better chance of having fans in arenas next year. Like That was my primary read 
on this. That was my first takeaway as well. Just, you know, they'd been talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a potential start date or maybe even later than that as a way to get some gate revenue and some fans in the buildings. But, you know, that that was always contingent on the pandemic improving uh, upon, you know, cases declining upon vaccine possibilities. And as as we're recording this, cases are continuing to spike around the country and we're seeing new record setting uh, number of positive uh, tests and hospitalizations and everything. So I think it's just becoming increasingly clear that this isn't going away in the short term future and that it is probably better for the league financially to make that gate revenue sacrifice, get in a full season and then attempt to resume normalcy in the 2021-2022 season. And I think some people have pointed out that maybe it just means that the teams are more optimistic that they would be allowed to have fans in earlier. And I just, I would take the, the opposite side of that where it's maybe they think that they'll still be able to have some fans in arenas at some point, but they don't think that waiting until Martin Luther King day or even till March, like had been rumored, but just never really seemed realistic when you were considering it all that they wouldn't get that much closer to capacity. And so this that logic to me, like that's where I fall on it, whether it's a good decision or not, like you're imposing travel here, but Woj did say that they're going to try and set up baseball like series. So you're going to have teams, which I think is smart. Um, And that was probably the last wave frontier for them to cut down travel. Anyway, when you look at what they've done just um, in previous seasons for regular seasons, the way that they've sort of eliminated back to backs and four games in, in five nights, this might be something they could look at moving forward to, you know, try and cater to players getting rest. And then, cutting down on the travel. I'm interested to see how it plays out as a fan. I'm excited that the league is planning on starting back up again. It's, it's a short off season. It's wild to think that two months from now is when the regular season is supposed to start. Or maybe that's not like, if that's the regular season day, like we are so unbelievably close to, to training camps. Like that's just absolutely wild. The drafts on the 18th, we don't even have a free agency date just yet. That stuff is all it's, it's a lot to process, but it is exciting. Of course you want, everything to be okay. Like the bubble worked out, which is great. And people like myself who were skeptical of it, like we ate crow on it. That's the thing that you love to eat crow on. Like, I'm glad there was no, very COVID. happy we got yeah. to do that. Um, I'm, it's just now you're, you are throwing some level of travel into this and players are going to be going outside of their team dynamics, like to their families and, and living their lives. And look, I was very clear that you can't ask them to be sequestered for longer than they were at Disney. I, I like, that was even a stretch. But that's the that's just the concern now. It's like how what ends up happening with this? Will there be implications like we saw in baseball, um, even in football? Just because it's so much more of a contact sport, uh, they're not playing as much. But they're because it's more of a contact sport. It feels like it's spreading easier through there. And I think the the NFL would say that they've kept it under control. And I guess you could argue with the fact that they're playing games and like uh, turning around. Like when they have the results of these tests, they are. Um, putting players in quarantine, but they're figuring out a way to, you know, where the tests are still coming back negative, but then there's this long incubation period. I don't know whether you call what the NFL is doing effective. Um, it seems effective for their purposes. I don't, I don't know that it's safe. I would argue that it's not, but that is the concern here. I'm not saying the NBA is wrong. Like the reality is that the NBA season was going to happen. It just happened inside a bubble. They weren't going to cancel the NBA season again or wait and do another three month bubble. So looking at it through the lens of that reality, and I hope this doesn't come off too callous because I'm honestly trying not to be, um, I'm just hopeful that nothing goes wrong because they are dealing with a whole different set of circumstances that are beyond their control compared to what they were going through in Disney. I'm cautiously optimistic about 
how the NBA will be able to handle things because I think that the league as a whole has earned the benefit of the doubt after how well it handled the bubble. I mean, there was not a single positive test within it. The rules were strict. The testing was was done properly and with sufficient volume. And, you know, we, we saw the NHL also have similar success in a bubble environment. But obviously, as, as you mentioned, you can't ask players to stay sequestered once again for an entire season. So given the success that the league has already had with a bubble environment, and then the fact that it will become the third major American league to attempt to have this travel-based schedule and will be able to, to take the positives and the negatives from what MLB and the NFL have done. Again, like just I, I'm cautiously optimistic on it. We, we saw in baseball, we had the initial outbreaks from the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals that created pushed back schedules and, and created so many doubleheaders and stuff. Obviously, you can't have doubleheaders in basketball. That just wouldn't fly. But I, I think that the NBA will have learned that you need to, to budget some time for makeup games later on in the season. The fact that they're already attempting to limit travel. I'm sure that there are other things that are under consideration that we just aren't being appraised about quite yet. Um, and then with the NFL, you know, we, we've seen teams consistently have smaller outbreaks. We saw it with Cam Newton and the New England Patriots. Right now we're seeing it with the uh, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, who had uh, Trent Brown and the rest of their offensive line through contract tra contact tracing, were were all sent home to to ensure safety and to make sure that there wasn't going to be a, a more significant outbreak. You know, just seeing other leagues do things like that and and taking away the proper lessons from it. You know, if, if there is a league that deserves uh, that deserves that benefit of the doubt, like it should be the NBA at this point. Yeah, I would agree with you on on that front. And look, by December, like maybe there's something drastically different with the level of immediate testing. I mean, look, they're going to have access to the testing. That's a whole other, you know, morality issue where it's if, if they're going to have access to uh, testing frequency that the normal citizen still doesn't. That was something that people talked about as they were entering the bubble. But for the NBA specifically, when you're just looking at if the assumption is they're going to play the season, these are the circumstances under which they are playing it. I would say that they have earned the, the benefit of the doubt there. The other thing to wrap our heads around, though, is just how soon this season is coming. Like that's just yeah, I was going to say, like if we put aside the health concerns right. and acknowledging that those still exist, regardless of how well they're going to handle it, there are other concerns with this schedule. And we were talking before we started recording about rookies. You know, like They're going to be drafted on November 18th. If they're traded, they might not officially be traded until a month after that date which means that three days later they could be playing basketball games. So like, I, I feel like the quality of play could be pretty rough this season, especially if players are testing positive and you're turning to backups more often. And just knowing that teams are going to want to still give run to their, their big investments on these young players, but there isn't that get up to speed uh, acclimation period for, for guys who haven't played competitive basketball games since March with a limited training camp, if there is even a preseason <laughs> with this condensed schedule, like it, it could essentially be like pick up basketball games at, at the very start of the season, which is better than no basketball games, but it, it could be a little, a little rough. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to, to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Yeah, I want to be hopeful just because of how entertaining the bubble play was. It didn't feel like, there, you know, at the beginning with the referees and then all the fouling, but it never really felt for a long period of time that the players or the teams missed a beat. You are dealing with rookies then, however, though, and you're also dealing with, like, let's talk about free agency signings. If there are any, you know, fairly big moves, like they're playing for new teams and like that can have or warrant an acclimation period as well. One thing I want to ask you, do you think the teams that did not go to Disney now, or maybe even let's say the ones that only played in the eight games there, looking at Phoenix uh, or Washington, do they have an edge over the teams that went deeper into the postseason just because of how quick this turnaround is? My guess is that the teams that played in the bubble but didn't make the playoffs are going to have the biggest advantage, but it's probably just a marginal one. And it's, you know, it feels like this past season was the one that really, more than others in the recent past, enforced the idea that the regular season and the postseason are entirely different entities in the NBA. That a dominant regular season team like the Milwaukee Bucks might be schemable in the playoffs. That a very well coached team with depth um, and and lots of of upper end talents like the Miami Heat might be able to just experiment a little bit during the regular season, knowing that it can turn it on a little bit in the postseason. So. I feel like by the by the midway point of this expected 72 game season everyone's going to be in the same same boat. Maybe someone like the Phoenix Suns that got the benefit of more recent play and gets to experience a little more continuity and confidence without exhausting itself during a deep postseason run might have a marginal advantage at the start of the season, but I don't think that that's going to be like a big enough factor for us to really take it into consideration when we're making predictions and and figuring out who our award picks and and playoff picks are going to be. What do you think, like, how quickly does free agency have to happen now? There's the draft is November 18th. Do they just start it on November 19th? Selfishly, I hope that doesn't happen because I would like a little bit of time to breathe um, with all the work that we'll be doing up to and through the draft. Like, I just need a moment to catch my breath after that, to have to pivot directly into free agency, which is arguably our second busiest time of the year behind the trade deadline, I would say, would just be absolutely wild. But it's also like, well, if you put it, push it a week, like all of a sudden that's almost December, and that's three weeks before the season, basically, three, four weeks. This is just so hard to wrap my head around. I think that there there should be and probably will be a gap of at least a week just because it's asking too much of front offices to go into 
a draft environment that's already more uncertain than in previous years just because players haven't played as many games and haven't played recently and you can't do the the in front of the team workouts that you're used to doing and you're getting the combine results directly from the league and all that like just going through that uncertain process and not knowing who you're going to land it would be unfair to ask them to immediately turn around and have to offer contracts to players like you at least need to to give them time to reshape their priorities and and lists of needs to address based on the results of the draft, because it's always such a tumultuous time that that quick of a turnaround would create more bad money contracts that I don't think the league ever really wants to see. Yeah, that's a good point. The final issue here, the all-star game is now in jeopardy, which is slated to be hosted in Indiana. That's, you know, that has to become a casualty of, of the season. If you're not going to have fans in there anyway, like the NBA might be okay with that. I would be curious what happens with Indiana hosting the game. Like, do you now all of a sudden push back the all-star schedules a year for each city? Um, Do you pick a few years down the line so that it doesn't impact where the other all-star games are scheduled for? Uh, Does this just screw Indiana over indefinitely? That would be something to consider for the Indiana market specifically, but there's a chance we just don't have an an all-star game which I think you're just more, I'd be more worried about like, can we get through this season without just any catastrophe would, would have to be the goal. And if, if the all-star game is the collateral damage of that, that sucks for Indiana. I, but if they weren't going to be able to have fans in the arena anyway, I don't really know how big of a loss then the, the all-star game ends up being. I do wonder what it would do to contract incentives. You know, if there are any salary contingencies that are based on all-star appearances or anything, um, I'm I'm not aware if those are in any current contracts, but if they are, like that would have to be something to consider. But yeah, okay, like what a what a loss that would be. <laughs> well, that was pretty dismissive. <laughs> that was more dismissive than I was. Right. I mean, like, who cares? <laughs> like, <Okay. laughs> it's it's fun, I guess, to watch a, a game being played with no defense whatsoever. But like, there was defense in this past All Star game. I think that's a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, the the new format worked well for that but still like until the nba and i'll get up on my soapbox here until the nba expands rosters commensurate to the growing size of the league i don't care about the all-star game like the i i still just hate the fact that you know there were 12 12 player rosters for the eastern conference and the western conference back in the 1970s when the league had half had a dozen and a little bit more teams with without cycling through so many on the back ends of the rosters and it's still 12 players per team in 2020 even though we have 30 teams with expanded rosters and more players on the back end it's just it no longer represents the same x percentage of the league the top x percentile um and it should so until they expand to like having 15 all-stars per conference i just don't give a shit (laughs) firm but fair Let's get into these franchise rankings for, for the past decade. Do you want to take us through the methodology just behind it, like how the rolling team ratings work a little bit before we eviscerate you? And I say we because the listeners are right here with me. We have our swords out. As you should. Yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a fun project um, that you know we, we tried to make very clear on the Twitter thread that was meant to be viewed as a baseline more than anything else, just because the methodology isn't perfect. All the categories are rated the same, are ranked the same and weighted the same. Um, so, you know, if, if you are frustrated that your team is 14th instead of 15th and they were separated by a minuscule margin, like, remember, it's just a baseline. But yeah, so we, 
the first the rolling team ratings that we use at NBA Math they essentially look at um, margin of victory adjusted for pace of play and the difficulty of the opponent. Also giving extra credit to teams that are playing back to back games um, just because of increased schedule difficulty there. Uh, so the rolling team ratings show a one number estimate of how well a team has played over its past 20 games. Um, 100 is le- is exactly average. Anything above is better, so on and so forth. So four or three of our categories of the six that we used for these rankings were based on the rolling team ratings. We looked at um, going back to the 2010-11 season through the end of this last campaign, uh, we were only interested in that last decade, and we looked at their average score in the rolling team rankings, their 82 highest games simulating the peak season, if you will, even though those didn't have to be consecutive numbers, uh, the true peak, so the highest 20-game stretch that they had at any point during the last decade. Then we looked at their win percentage the number of playoff appearances that they made and how many titles they won. So the idea was to recognize regular season success, how high the peaks of teams rose, just because it's better from a fan experience to have a team that peaks really, really high than to have a team that is consistently good, even if they tend to lead to about the same amount of success, just that entertainment factor. And then we also wanted to give credit to making the postseason and doing well in the postseason. So we took the Z scores in all six of those categories to account for how wide the disparities were between ranks and not just where they ranked, summed those up, and those were our franchise rankings. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I dig it. So, do you want to take us through the results? Yeah. So, I want to go through the top ten. Uh, I don't think we should go through all thirty here, and then just ask you if you had any surprises within that top ten, and then if there were any franchises you were surprised weren't in the top ten. Uh, so, at number ten, we had the Dallas Mavericks, uh, who have. Uh, their one title, uh, the one that they won over the Miami Heat in their first year of that big three era that was so surprising and led to Mark Cuban eviscerating Skip Bayless, which remains one of the most satisfying moments of the decade. Uh, we had the consistently successful Indiana Pacers, who were one of a handful of teams that made the playoffs nine out of ten seasons. We had the Boston Celtics, who do not get to count their 2008 title in this, but were consistently good. Another team that made the playoffs nine times out of those ten years. Uh, We had the Toronto Raptors at number seven, who had the title in 2019 and have been another consistently excellent franchise. Despite the playoff disappointments that they have endured, we have the Los Angeles Clippers at number six and the Houston Rockets at number five. The Oklahoma City Thunder are at number four. The Miami Heat, who won two titles during the Big Three era and made the finals this past season, are at number three. Then there was a gigantic gap 
the gap between number three and number two was about as big as the gap between number three and number 10. Uh, We had the San Antonio Spurs at number two, even though they only won one title during the last decade as the the, uh, dynastic era of that franchise kind of petered out a little bit. And I don't think it will surprise anyone given their three titles and the ridiculous peaks that they achieved with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. Golden State Warriors checking in at number one. Yeah, that's not that's not a surprise. I was so let's start with a team that I was shocked wasn't, I guess, closer to the top ten. The Portland Trailblazers being at 17 this decade were a little bit surprising to me. That was surprising to me as well. And it really came down, and that's why in the introduction of this segment, I I wanted to emphasize why that peak mattered, because that's where they fell short. So in terms of winning percentage, they won 54.8% of their regular season games over the last decade, which ranks 10th. They made the playoffs eight times, which is obviously impressive. Um, There were only four teams that made the playoffs more frequently. Uh, Their average score and rolling team rating was 10th. They did not win a title, but that the same is true of, of most franchises over the last decade. Where they fell short was the 82-game peak average and their true peak. In those two categories, they ranked 22nd and 23rd, respectively, which I think feels pretty accurate to me, where they were like them and the Memphis Grizzlies, really, who checked in at number 15 and was another team where I was surprised they weren't a little bit higher. They are suffering for being consistently good without ever being great. I mean, if you if you think back on the last decade of Portland Trail Portland Trailblazers basketball, is there a team that really stands out as being like a legitimate title contender? They made the Western Conference Finals in 2018-19. They have a handful of 50-win seasons. They peaked at 54 wins in 2013-14 and then lost in the Western Conference Finals, but these LaMarcus Aldridge and Damian Lillard led teams, like they they never really established themselves as the class of the Western Conference and without doing that at any point or even having a 20-game stretch within a season where it seemed like that would be a possibility, that that's why they fell short. Yeah, that one of the missed opportunities for them, I think it was 2014-2015, is that when Wes Matthews ruptured his Achilles yep. toward the end of the year? Yeah, that was big for them. But still, they've had the 10th highest winning percentage for the decade among, team, which, which, among teams, which is incredibly impressive. I don't know that I was – I guess the, another some of the pushback would come from the Lakers being not – they maybe not even not in the top ten, but they were nineteen on the rankings. Since I I have the you know the full thirty right in front of me, I I like that makes sense to me. They just haven't been great this decade. This season they won a championship, but there was uh, a lot of hardship on the court for them before that. And this look, the decade starts uh, bef- like after they won their last championship with Kobe, and then from there it's like kind of a a quick path to when he ruptured his Achilles in 2013 and everything was downhill from there for them. For they like were already the next, bottoming yeah. out before that happened too. Well, they were, he, first of all, he was playing out of his mind when that happened. I remember that, that season he was playing so well, but that team was underachieving. There was injuries to Pau Gasol and uh, Steve Nash. And then Dwight Howard wasn't at full strength. And then there was the fact that he was Dwight Howard and getting along with Kobe Bryant, that stuff mattered, but like they've had, I can't tell whether I think they should be lower is what I'm getting at at numbers 19 or if I feel like I'm surprised that they're that low. They're probably just where they need to be. If anything, I might be surprised that they're not a little bit lower. But then the thing is like, well, they were still a playoff team in 2012, 2013, and they did just win a title, and they weren't absolutely awful last season. I don't know where I land on on where they've fallen. 
It felt pretty accurate to me. I, I do think it's important to emphasize that we did not give any extra credit to the most recent seasons. So even though the Los Angeles Lakers just won a title, that doesn't matter any more than the Dallas Mavericks winning a title in 2011 because we are considering all of the seasons equal. Uh, the Lakers and the Cavaliers, who ranked 11th, were the only two franchises that won a title and did not make the top 10. But the Cavaliers had more good years and a higher peak because even this title-winning team, it never really like ascended to juggernaut status. You know, it, it played very well throughout the playoffs, but at no point was it like this is like a a ridiculous historic team. So if we look through the ranks in the six categories, I think it becomes more obvious why the Lakers weren't able to rise any higher than 19th. And in average rolling team rating, they were 20th, 99.371. So on average, they were below that league break-even point. Uh, their 82-game peak ranked 15th. Their true peak ranked 21st. Their winning percentage of 45.1 was 18th. And 19 teams made the playoffs more frequently they, than they did because they only advanced to the postseason four times in the last decade. Really, without that title being included in the methodology, they would have ranked far lower. The Knicks coming in at number 22 was kind of shocking to me. Uh, it feels like those mellow seasons are doing some heavy lifting for them in this. And I just, I, I honestly would have thought that, you know, the Wizards being at 24, I would I would have thought that they finished ahead of the Knicks. Even having Brooklyn at 25, I would have thought the Knicks finished below that. I'm not even trying to dump on the Knicks here. You know, maybe you could put them ahead of, the Suns I'd listen to, the Timberwolves, the Hornets, sure. But even there were some good Hornets teams mixed in with that decade. I was surprised that the Knicks evaded bottom five status is basically what I'm getting at. Honestly, the team that surprised me most was the Phoenix Suns being 26th. I, I would have expected them to be lower because they, along with the Sacramento Kings, are, are one of only two teams in the league that failed to make the playoffs even once in the last decade. And like that has to matter. So the, the Suns are, are carried by their peak being relatively high at the bottom of these rankings. It checked in at 22nd in the league. Um, but other than that, like their resume is so it's not even nondescript. It's just bad. So that was that was a surprise for me where it's like, wow, like they're they're actually ahead of the Timberwolves, the Hornets, the Pistons and the Kings. The Kings aren't, aren't a surprise at 30. They, they ranked dead last in every single category. So like they were the very obvious last place finisher. And I'm, I'm sorry, Kings fan. Like I hope it gets better for you. De'Aaron Fox is super fun. And it seems like they, they could be a playoff threat, just like every other team in the Western conference going forward. But this last decade was really bad. <laughs> Recency bias is funny too, in that way where I'm looking at the top and to me, it's like, Oh, the bucks aren't in the top 10, but then it, then looking at the decade in full, that that kind of makes sense. I think this, uh, what what I think it gets right is the Toronto Raptors being at number seven. They don't receive enough credit for the longevity of their success. They're you know they became postseason punchlines a lot with the Kyle Lowry Demar Derozan partnership, but since 2013 2014 they've basically been a 50 win team every single year, and that's really hard to do in the NBA. So with all the turnover that takes place. And look, they've taken some swings themselves. They went after the Kawhi trade and they lost Kawhi. Uh, that, their being at number seven is, that that feels right where you could be like, oh, would you put them ahead of the Clippers or the Rockets? Yeah, maybe. But that they're in that conversation at all is really kind of a testament to what they've been able to do there over the past specifically like seven years. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, it kind of feels like they're like the souped up version of the Portland Trailblazers 
where they don't have like the super high peak, even that title winning team. Like it was, it was a very, very good, fundamentally excellent and deep team. But again, it wasn't like reaching that Warriors peak or that Spurs peak where it was just like the epitome of basketball perfection. So their true peak actually ranks 20th in this methodology, but they're so good in the other categories that they were still carried into the top 10. It's like, I, I do think it's like what the Portland Trailblazers and Memphis Grizzlies kind of hope to achieve, whereby being so consistently good, not necessarily consistently great, that you just hope that everything clicks for that one season and it's magical. I'm in looking at their title season specifically, I wonder how much that has to do with the restraint that they carry themselves with when looking at how Kawhi Leonard was playing and even they dealt with some injuries that year. But yeah, if you put the Blazers in the Eastern Conference, like maybe they have a similar arc that the Blazers did. I would still argue that last year's Toronto Raptors team was just a better version than anything we've seen from the Blazers in the past decade, regardless oh, of what conference you're in. Totally agreed. Was there any teams that really stood out uh, like to you, like going since this wasn't something that necessarily required your, you know, I've made fun of you at the beginning, but this was not purely subject- subjective. Was there anything that was surprising or, or even disappointing to you? Um, maybe that the jazz weren't a little higher just since they've been so consistently good over the last half decade. Um, but no, I mean, it really, with the exception of like those minor discrepancies, you know, it, it, it was, it was fun to look back at the rankings and be like, wow, like the bulls are 12th. How did that happen? Oh yeah. Like we get to include the Derrick Rose MVP season and the peak Joachim Noah year. And like that team was really good. And it was nice just to like give credit to those, those organizations that were so successful at the beginning of this past decade, in addition to the most recent ones. But I think, I think the Suns remain my, my biggest surprise where I was, you know, I was originally going through them and, you know, just to 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 increase the enjoyment for myself as I do this, I tend to scroll down on my spreadsheets and reveal one at a time as I'm working through this and like formulating the Twitter threads and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, when are the suns going to show up? Because I hadn't seen the results until I got to them <laughs> at 26. And it was like, wow, like that was that was just not expected at all. But I do. I Ultimately, I, I hope that this was something that people enjoyed and, and brought back either good or bad memories. And I'm, I'm considering trying to do something similar for all of NBA history since I have that data already. And it might just be interesting to see if, you know, using this exact same methodology, are the Lakers number one? Are the Boston Celtics number one? Because we're going to give even weight to the, the Bill Russell-led teams that were winning even when the NBA had fewer than a dozen teams in it, um, as we are to the most recent ones. You can check out the entire rankings thread. It's pinned to NBA Math's Twitter profile at NBA underscore math. If you're not following us already, WTF, remedy that right now. Let us know if you have any qualms or anything with the top 10. This was a, a briefer podcast. Just a nice little break from our team lookaheads. Um, talk a little bit about the start of the season where that news is still just probably going to be unfolding as after we we publish this. Uh, we'll get back to our team lookaheads. We promise if we – as we try and squeeze in, we'll finish. We have our decade rankings per team two-thirds of the way done. That series is not dead. We were just waiting for the the meat and potatoes of the offseason to finish it. We just might not have a meat and potatoes of, of the offseason. It doesn't seem like there's going to be any downtime. But rest assured, we shall figure it out. But please, everyone, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're consuming your podcast. Even if you're not using iTunes, head over there, search Hardware Knox, throw us that rating, write a review. We'd really appreciate it. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to the one, the only, Brooklyn Nets assistant coach, 
Amari Stoudemire. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.